could have second thoughts about doing so, especially since we were ready to venture into the 14th chapter of 1 Corinthians and begin a rather critical look at a very controversial gift. Well, the the tree is still up and the lights are still on, but I am going to go ahead and plunge back into the study we began several weeks ago. And as you may recall, Paul has been talking about spiritual gifts. And today we come to his specific teaching on the gift of speaking in tongues. A gift that is no doubt the most troublesome gift ever given to the church. Because tongues, as exercised in many churches, or glossolalia, as the theologians call it, is a very emotional issue in more ways than one. Some claim it a blessing. Others, a curse. Some say it's of God, others, the devil, or at best, nothing but emotionalism. Some trace it back to Pentecost, which they call the former reign of the Spirit, claiming what we see today is the latter reign. Others say what we see today has no relationship to the Pentecost experience, but is in fact related to the ecstatic utterances common in the Greek mystery religions before Christ and the tongue-speaking found in African spirit worship and Eastern mysticism today. Well, the controversy, while not as heated in American churches as it was several years ago, still generates debate and division in churches around the world. And while I realize my understanding of what Paul had to say in 1 Corinthians on the matter won't be acceptable to everyone, I do trust what I have to say will answer the questions of some. Well, this morning, we're only going to look at the first half of the 14th chapter, a chapter toward which we have been building for some time. In chapter 12 we saw Paul lay a foundation for the proper understanding and utilization of gifts. In chapter 13, he stressed the importance of using our gifts within the context of love. And now in chapter 14, he's going to deal specifically with the trouble that had developed in Corinth over the gift of tongues. Trouble because apparently everyone wanted it. And quite possibly, some who didn't have it were pretending to have it, perhaps even reviving a practice from their pagan past. We assume something other than the real thing must have coexisted with the real gift, Because, as we'll discover next week, Paul found it necessary to limit the expression of tongues in Corinth. And since the Holy Spirit distributes gifts to a body as needed, Paul wouldn't set an arbitrary limit 
on the expression of a legitimate gift. But neither would he forbid the expression of a legitimate gift. So he couldn't forbid the use of tongues in Corinth, even though its use was apparently causing problems in the church. But he did set up guidelines for its use. Guidelines that in and of themselves effectively put a lid on forged gifts. So the problem in Corinth was complicated because both the real gift of tongues and a counterfeit were present. And some would suggest that is still the case today. Others would obviously disagree, insisting that everything we see in charismatic churches is of the Holy Spirit, while still others would insist that the Holy Spirit has little, if anything, to do with the current practice of speaking in tongues, that what we see today is something other than the real gift as experienced in the early church. Well, without trying to force my opinion of the current tongues movement on you, let's just take a look at the trouble that can come from the misuse of tongues in the church. And then next week, we'll examine the purpose for which they were given and the limitations imposed upon their expression by the apostle. Hopefully, you'll then be able to come to your own conclusion about tongues in the church today. So let's look now at some potential problems with the exercise of tongues, beginning with the fact that it can be selfish. 1 Corinthians 14, verses 1 through 5. Pursue love, yet earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. But one who prophesies edifies the church. Now, I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. And greater is one who prophesies than one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets, so that the church may receive edifying. Now, Paul has just finished penning for us the most beautiful chapter in the entire Bible, the, the love chapter, where he extols the superiority of love, a fruit of the Spirit, over any of the gifts of the Spirit. He wants every Christian to pursue love, yet he doesn't want to give the impression that the gifts are unimportant. So he adds that we should earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Now, we've already seen that the Holy Spirit determines who gets what in this area of spiritual gifts. So he's not telling Christians to try to get something the Spirit hasn't given them. He's just making it clear that gifts are important 
and that the church needs them and should desire them. Especially, he adds, the church should desire the gift of prophecy. The gift of speaking forth the mind and will of God with clarity and conviction. Then he compares this gift with the one that was apparently very popular in Corinth, the gift of tongues. See, prophecy wasn't especially showy or miraculous in appearance, but tongues was, and everyone apparently wanted it. The Paul says, think, think about it for a minute. Which is more valuable? If you speak in tongues and no one understands you, what good does it do for them? You may be speaking to God, but no one else benefits from it. What you're saying is a mystery to them. Prophecy, on the other hand, speaks to men. It builds them up. It instructs them. It encourages them. It comforts them. Speaking in languages no one understands can't do that. Now, it's true, the one speaking in tongues may be personally strengthened by his experience. It may make him feel close to God. But what about the church? Prophecy builds up the entire church. And isn't that the purpose for spiritual gifts? Paul's already made it clear that spiritual gifts are given for the common good and not for personal enjoyment. To use a spiritual gift selfishly is to misuse it. Now, obviously, there's nothing wrong with any gift of the Spirit. And there's nothing wrong with the gift of tongues. It has or had its place. And we're going to look at that next week. But the gift of prophecy, the divinely given ability to share with others the will of God, is of more benefit to the church. Unless, of course, the one speaking in tongues interprets what he said so everyone can be built up by it. But that's, that's not always done. Tongues, especially what's currently practiced as tongues, is primarily a personal thing. Something you do to feel good, to feel close to God. So one potential problem with tongues is that it can be selfish. Something from which no one else in the church can benefit. In fact... It can be completely profitless. Let's read on. Verses 4 through 6. I mean 6 through 9. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, what shall I profit you? Unless I come to you either by way of revelation or of knowledge or of prophecy or of teaching. Yet, even lifeless things, either flute or harp, in producing a sound, if they do not produce a distinction in the tones, how will it be known what is played on the flute or on the harp? For if the bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? So also you, unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. Paul asks what good 
would it do if he came to Corinth and did nothing but speak in tongues? The answer is obvious. Nothing. No one would get anything out of what he had to say. No one would understand him. And if he didn't come with a revelation from God, which he could do as an apostle, or a word of wisdom, which he possessed, or a prophecy or teaching concerning God's will, what would be the benefit of his coming as an apostle? Nothing. It would be profitless. It would be as silly as someone giving a concert on the organ and not being able to play it. Just pushing keys here and there with no pattern or or rhythm. No one would get anything out of it. Or as bad as someone playing the bugle but not knowing taps from Reveille. It would be pointless and profitless. So it is with tongues. If no one knows what you're saying. No one can benefit from it. No one can learn. No one can gain direction. It's nothing more, Paul says, than speaking into the air. And as one commentator noted, this was written long before radio was discovered. So tongues can be profitless. And even worse, it can be divisive. divisive. 10 through 12. There are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world, and no kind is without meaning. If then I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be to the one who speaks a barbarian, and the one who speaks will be a barbarian to me. So also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. Paul begins by stating that there are many kinds of languages in the world, reinforcing our understanding that the gift of tongues was the gift of being able to miraculously speak foreign languages. It was not unintelligible babbling. He says there are many languages and they all have meaning. But even then, we've got to make sure that the language we speak is understood by those to whom We're speaking. On the day of Pentecost, everyone was able to hear the apostles speaking of the mighty deeds of God in their native languages. But even then, those who couldn't understand the 14 or so languages and dialects being spoken thought the apostles were drunk. They were just babbling. So it's important that those who hear someone speaking in tongues understand what's being said, either because they know the language or someone has interpreted for them. If that's not done, misunderstanding and division will result. Paul says if we don't understand someone's language, we think they are barbarians and vice versa. They think we are barbarians. Now, the word barbarian for you grammarians is an example of onomatopoeia. I love that word. Onomatopoeia, okay? It denotes a man whose language sounds like barbar. A language that makes no sense. Barbarian comes from sounding like barbar. 
Okay? Now, the word barbarian is usually used in a derogatory fashion of those who are uncivilized. So Paul's saying, if I can understand what a man is saying, he'll think I'm an unlearned barbarian. By the same token, I'll think he's uncivilized and unlearned because he's just going around saying, barbar, barbar, barbar. That makes sense. Walls will be directed between us. He'll think he's better or smarter than I am, and I'll think he's stupid for babbling the way he does. Isn't that what's happening? Walls are going up between Christians who claim they have the gift and those who don't. Paul says, since you're zealous for spiritual gifts, longing to have them, long to have the gifts that build up the church, not those that can so easily tear it apart. And then finally, he points out that tongues can be mindless. Verses 13 through 19. Therefore, let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What is the outcome then? I shall pray with the Spirit, and I shall pray with the mind also. I shall sing with the Spirit, and shall sing with the mind also. Otherwise, if you bless in the Spirit only, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say the amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not know what you're saying? For you are giving thanks well enough, but the other man is not edified. Paul says that the only way a man can really benefit from speaking in tongues is by interpreting what he's saying for himself as well as for others. He says, if I pray in a tongue but I don't understand what I'm saying, my mind is unfruitful. So I must be able to interpret what I say in prayer, I've got to know what I'm saying. If I can't, I'll just pray in such a way that I can understand what I'm saying. I'll pray in a language I know. That way I can be praying with my spirit and my mind. The same goes for singing. I'll not just make beautiful sounds. I'll sing songs that express to God and others What's on my heart? And isn't that the purpose for praying and singing, expressing what's on my heart? If I can't interpret what I'm saying, I'll not use tongues, even for my own personal enjoyment. If I don't know what I'm saying, my prayer and praise to God is mindless. And I'll be sure to interpret. For others, too. I want them to be able to say amen, to agree with me in prayer and praise. I want them to be built up by what I'm saying. But then Paul says something that's kind of puzzling. He says, I, I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. However, in the church, I desire to speak five words with my mind 
that I may instruct others also, rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. Now, we have no record of Paul speaking in tongues other than this. And he says he wouldn't do it in the church. So when and where did he speak tongues? Well, charismatics generally suggest he did it in his private prayer times. But he's just said he wouldn't pray with an unfruitful mind. So unless he interpreted it, he wouldn't have done that. Well, the best explanation I can come up with is that Paul had used tongues in his missionary work, especially among the Jews. In the first chapter, he told us Jews asked for signs. And next week, we'll see how tongues was a sign for them. So perhaps Paul would go into a foreign synagogue, and even though everyone understood Greek, he would speak to them in their native dialect as a sign of God's confirmation of what he had to say. That would be some kind of miraculous proof that what he says is true and is a message for them. Now, that's just a guess. I I don't know when he used tongues. But he does make it clear that in the church, he'd rather speak five words with his mind so he could instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue no one understood. So bottom line, tongues can be selfish, profitless, divisive, and mindless. I think we need to remember that when considering the practice today. We need to remind ourselves that the gifts are given by the Spirit for the common good. They're given to edify the church and are to help us express in practical ways the love and faith we have. We are to earnestly desire spiritual gifts. We've been talking about that. But we are to actually pursue a course of love. And if we're open to the Spirit, letting Him give us whatever gift or gifts He wants us to have, and are ready to go through the doors of service that Jesus opens for us, God will be able to work through us, each and every one of us, enabling us to love as He loves in a world that so desperately needs it. All we have to do, all we have to do, is submit our will to His. And let Him be truly the Lord of our life. You know, if you have surrendered your all to Him, He will gift you and use you as he sees fit. And what more could we want? If you've not surrendered to him, I invite you to do so. To repent and be baptized 
and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The presence of the Spirit in your life. And that can be yours today. Let's stand and surrender.